Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hey, guess what? We want to hear from you specifically. We have been doing the Money Advantage podcast for over three years, and we've covered a lot of ground, financially speaking. But if you have been listening and you have not heard us answer your burning question, we would love to be able to do that. So we have a great new way for you to be able to communicate your specific thoughts and ask us a question that we can answer live on the show. If you go to themoneyadvantage.com, you can click on the link at the top right-hand corner that says, send us a voicemail. And you can record a voicemail that we can play on the air. Now, this can be done from your desktop or even from a cell phone. It's literally so simple, and it's a way for you to be able to share your thoughts with us so that we can give the most specific, clarifying answers to you, because that really energizes us. All right. Good morning, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner coming to you live with another great conversation today. And we're talking about something unique and different and talking to the best person to be able to explain this to you. This is investing in raw land. Now, you may have never heard of this idea before. You may have had this on your radar, but we are going to talk to you today about exactly what this means and how you can accomplish your financial goals with passive income and no leverage, but use this with privatized banking fabulous concept today. And so Mark Podolsky, I want to make sure I'm saying your name correctly. Welcome to the show this morning. Rachel, you got it. Just like Smith or Jones. Yes. Thank you. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for joining us. And um, Bruce, I want to have you share your thoughts real quick, and then I will share Mark's bio. And then we're going to jump into some questions and get this rolling. Yeah, this is, um, <clears throat> it's kind of related to what we talked about last week with ATM investing and people responding like, I didn't even know these things existed. Well, this is mm -hmm. another thing that is out there um, that people don't know it exists. Of course, you know, people don't listen to our disclosures, but, you know, we have to disclose that we're not necessarily endorsing this. You have to do your own research, you know, so on and so forth. So make sure you uh, talk to your own uh, financial advisor before you do anything about this. Which but, <clears throat> maybe and, us, but come and talk tax, to us. <laughs> and tax and tax people. But um, we, we have said this more than one time. If you want to have unconventional wealth, you have to do things in an unconventional way. You can't follow the herd because there's a reason why we have a re, uh, retirement problem in this in this nation, even though the government has set up retirement plans to solve the problem. And if you look at any of the uh, research, it, it shows that the average person only has between thirty-six dollars and $50,000 actually saved you know, for retirement. And that's because they're doing the conventional way that the government said that has been proven, obviously, since 1979, not to actually work. And so these are the unconventional things that people should look into and see if they actually are more in line with what they're trying to do. So... Uh, everybody paid attention to this. Absolutely. Thanks, Bruce, for sharing that. And yes, today is going to be an, a mind-expanding conversation. 
And so let me tell you a little bit about Mark before we get going. So armed with only $3,000 and gut-wrenching fear and absolutely no real estate experience at all, Mark first bought his few parcels of raw land in 2001. So I guess that was the kickoff point when everything kind of got started. We're going to dig into that a little bit more. He's also authored a book called Dirt Rich, and that is a guide to helping you build passive income. And so we're going to talk about that today. And really what's interesting is that Mark was able to quit his high stress, soulless corporate job and be able to get into a position of economic time and money freedom, we call it. He calls it economic, um, never mind, that was the opposite, the solo economic dependency. So you were able to get free from that and be able to build time and money freedom. And so now you spend your time helping other people be able to invest in raw land, but you're still investing on your own as well, which is meaning that you still have your boots in the trench, you are still doing the work, and you still know what it means to be investing in raw land. So I'm really excited to jump into this conversation. So Mark, why don't you share in your own words, how did this get started? How did you even come across the idea of investing in raw land in the first place? And where did those seeds start for you in 2001? Yeah, again, Rachel, Bruce, thanks so, so much for having me on. So let's rewind the tape to, uh, it's actually 2000 when I really first got started. And I'm working in this just soulless job as an investment banker. I'm specializing in mergers and acquisitions with private equity groups. And I had a 45 minute commute to work and back. I felt like I had no control and it got so bad for me that I wouldn't get the Sunday blues anticipating Monday coming around. I'd get the Friday blues anticipating the weekend going by really fast and having to be back at work on Monday. So my firm hires this guy and he's telling me that as a side hustle, he's going to these tax deed auctions. He's buying up raw land, pennies on the dollar, and he's flipping them online and he's making a 300% return on his investment. And I'm looking at companies all day long. And a great company, great company, has 15% EBITDA margins or free cash flow. Average companies, 10%. And I'm looking at companies all day long, less than 10%. So of course, I'm from St. Louis, the show me state. I don't believe him. So I got three grand saved up for car repairs. I go to New Mexico with him. I do exactly what he says to do. I buy 10 half acre parcels an average price of $300 each. I flip them online and they all sell for an average price of $1,200 each. It worked. So I took all that money. I went to another auction that said I'm living in Arizona. And again, it's 2000, there's no one in the room. I'm buying up lots, I'm buying up acreage for like nothing. And over the next six months, I sold all that property. I made over $90,000 cash. So I go to my wife. I'm like, honey, and she's pregnant. I'm gonna quit my job and become a full-time land investor. And she's like, absolutely not. So I said, <laughs> okay, okay. So I worked land investing part-time for about 18 months. And until the land investing income exceeded the investment banking income, then I quit. And I've been doing it full-time ever since. And I, and I love it. Well, that is super smart. And I just want somebody to hear that there was a little bit of wisdom in your wife's apprehension there. I think so many times people get this idea that, hey, I can just go start this entrepreneurship thing and I can just jump off and it's not proven yet. I don't know if it's going to work. And they put themselves in a crazy position of scarcity where they have to get the next deal and things do not go well when you're in that position. But instead, you really worked this slowly and figured out a new skill set while you still had the safety net of your current income, super wise, super smart way to get into entrepreneurship and investing 
And when did you go full-time then? So 2001. So it took about 18 oh, nice. months for the land investing income to exceed the investment banking income. That's a, still a short time frame. So if you're thinking yeah. this is going to take 15 years, uh, think again. So 18 months, that's very interesting. So did you, when did it switch over to you helping other people learn about this system? So I really didn't start helping other people um, because I had the scarcity mentality for a long, long time. I actually write about this in, in Dirt Rich. And, um, you know, I'd go out in my, <laughs> like, my house and, you know, my shorts and unshaved. And, like, I, I think my neighbors thought I was a drug dealer. And, like, like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, oh, you know, I, I'm in real estate. So, like, I wouldn't tell anybody what I was doing. And after a while, you get to a certain point where um, – it's, it's just, it's kind of empty and it's, you want to be more useful. So yeah, the land investing business helps my family, but no one really ever said to me after buying a piece of land for me, you know, you changed my life in this land investment. And now it's so gratifying to be able to help people get out of social economic dependency, um, get out of jobs they don't like, retire their spouses so they can spend more time with their families and really solve not just their money problems, but their time problems as well, and have this total freedom to move up into Maslow's hierarchy of needs into self-actualization. And for me professionally, it's been the most gratifying thing I've ever done. And I, I started that, uh, I think 2012. That is awesome. That's really awesome. And I love that you are working towards fulfillment for you. And it's so cool to hear somebody say, the end is not the money. The end is really not having all the income that you could ever want and, and spend. I mean, we can all think of a way to spend more and more and more money, but that is not the solution to ultimate eternal happiness. And it's just really interesting to hear you and every other person that we've talked to who is successful and who has built up a successful business and investment strategy. That's just not the end. So thank you for sharing that. So how does investing in raw land work? I mean, this is something that's probably not on the radar of almost anyone that has listened to the show before or probably anyone in the world. So let's go ahead. How does it work? How do you find the right deals? Where are All the right, deals? Let's, let's have some fun, Rachel. Let's do awesome. a case study. We're nice. going to use Bruce. Okay. Nice. So Bruce, you're in St. Louis, right? Absolutely. Yes. All right. We're going to pretend that you own 10 acres of raw land in Texas, but you owe $200 in back taxes. So essentially, Bruce is advertising two things to us. Number one, he's no emotional attachment to that raw land. He's in St. Louis, properties in Texas. And number two, he's distressed financially in some weird way. Because when we don't pay for things like our taxes, we don't value them in the same way. As a result, County Treasurer keeps sending Bruce these notices. If you don't pay your property taxes, you're eventually going to lose it to a tax deed or a tax lien investor. So all I'm going to do is look at the comparable sales on Bruce's 10-acre parcel for the last 12 to 18 months. I'm going to take the lowest comp. I'm going to divide by four. That's going to get me what Warren Buffett would call a 300% margin of safety. And I'm going to send him an actual offer on his 10 acres. So let's pretend the lowest comp is $10,000. I send him an offer for $2,500. He accepts it because for him... $2,500 is better than nothing. In reality, 3 to 5% of people accept my quote-unquote top dollar offer. Mm. Now, once he accepts it, I have to go through this in-depth research or due diligence. I got to confirm Bruce still owns the property. I got to confirm back taxes are only $200. I got 
I have to make sure there's been no breaks in the chain of title. There's no liens or encumbrances. I want to know what's the ingress and egress. Is there legal access? What's compelling about the property? What are the neighbors doing? How far from services? What are the roads like? So all this due diligence, I outsource to my team in the Philippines because they're connected to an American title company and it costs about 11 bucks. So we get this title report. Now, if I'm going to spend 5,000 or more, I'm actually going to close traditionally through a title company. Now, as far as if it's an area I don't know about, I'll go on Craigslist for 50 bucks. I'll do a local Craigslist gig and have somebody physically go out there with my property checklist and tell me what's going on, shoot, take pictures, shoot video. And I'll use a, a little app called What Three Words to track them on their GPS to make sure that they're close to the property. It doesn't do me any good if they're on the wrong property. So we go through all the due diligence, everything checks out, and I buy the property from Bruce for $2,500. I'm gonna sell this property 30 days or less and make it cash flow like a rental home. So let's just pick on Bruce again. I've got a built-in best buyer. Who is it, Bruce? Uh, me. No, you're selling me the property. You're not buying the property well, back no, from me. Well, no, it sounds it sounds great. Um, I thought no, I don't. I didn't mean me. I mean, I would be an investor. <laughs> oh me, yeah, yeah. Investor. In real life, no, no, yeah, yeah. You, might, you might like them all in, but there's someone who in who's really just in intrinsically would like this land more than anyone else. A developer. Uh, no, the, no, the neighboring property owner. The neighbors, the neighbors. So we're gonna send out those neighbor letters saying, hey. Here's your opportunity, protect your privacy, protect your view, know your mm. neighbor. So oftentimes the neighbors will buy it. Now, if they pass, I'll go to my buyer's list. My buyer's list passes, I'll go to uh, Craigslist, which is the 10th most trafficked website in the United States. I'll go to an even really? smaller one, which is Facebook, buy sell groups, the marketplace. And then I'll go to the lands, landmodo.com, landandfarm.com, landsofamerica.com, landflip.com, landhub.com, all these platforms where people buy and sell raw land. But the way that I'm gonna sell it is gonna make it irresistible. So all I'm gonna ask for is a $2,500 down payment, and then I'm gonna make it a car payment. Let's say $449 a month, 9% interest for the next 84 months. So it's a one-time sale. I get my capital out on the down. I might go six to 10 months out, and then, I've got $449 a month coming every single month for the next 84 months at 9% interest, no renters, no rehabs, no renovations, no rodents. And because I'm not dealing with a tenant, I'm exempt from Dodd-Frank, RESPA, and the SAFE Act, all this onerous real estate legislation. So the game that we play is, can we create enough of these land notes where our passive income exceeds our fixed expenses, and now we're working because we want to not because we have to. That's awesome. So, and if, they do, and if they default, you just take the land back. So we use land contracts. So there's no costs of foreclosure like you would with the deed of trust. So correct. So if they, if they default, they have 30 days to cure. If they don't, I keep the down. I keep their monthly. I resell it. I get a new down, a new monthly, and it just increases my ROI. Interesting. So and 84 months. So that's... Uh... 12 to seven fourth, years. seven years. So your, your cash flows for seven years, and then you are free and clear from this property. You're not going to have additional cash flow at that point, but you do have a seven year cash flow window after recouping your costs right up front. 
Right, right. So we just keep buying and buying and buying and selling and selling and selling, just building up this note portfolio. Nice. Okay. So how does that work in terms of finding the properties? Are you the one finding properties? So like me personally, is Mark going out and looking for properties? So look, I'm an entrepreneur, right? So the last thing I want to do is build myself another job. And what I've done is I've automated the business 90% with software and inexpensive virtual assistants. So we want to use leverage everywhere in, in business. Awesome. So the three levers we were going to use are other people's time, other people's money, and software. So on the front end, I use a software program called LG Pass, which um, basically automates the sending out of offers. So mm -hmm. we upload this list, it goes out, and then it does address verification, and then it follows all throughout the process. And my virtual assistant team can go in and log in, and I can see the due diligence. So me as a CEO, really what I want to know is, you know, within my team, so I have an intake manager because they're going to field the calls from the sellers. Because sometimes the sellers just want to call and yell at me about the offer. Sometimes they're confused by the offer. And sometimes they want to sell. So the intake manager essentially qualifies them. Are they really interested in selling? Once they get qualified, the intake manager follows them through the closing process with our acquisition manager and the acquisition manager will then do the deal with that seller. Now, using our software, I won't even write a check anymore. We can just automate the check through the software as well. So I just am kind of approving the deals. And what I want to know as a CEO is how many offers are going out, how many deals are pending, how many deals do we close, um, and how many deals are we selling at any one time. So I just want to look at the numbers and just working on the systems in the operation. On the back end of it, we use a program called geekpay.io. That's a set and forget it system. We get the down payment via credit card and then the monthly via ACH. And it does automates the notifications and just getting paid very easily. So the front and the back end. Then as far as finding the areas, well, it's a little counterintuitive, but the way that we train our acquisition manager to do county research is go to where the deals are. So I'll go to a site like landmoto.com and see where are people doing deals? Because I want to know definitively deals are being done there. It's like if you're going out fishing and you see there's five boats over on this one area, you don't want to avoid those boats. That's where everybody's catching the fish. So we want to go where those are. And I know it's counterintuitive, but that's essentially how we do our county research is we want to know there's deals being done there. Now we'll certainly test other areas, but we won't go big until we know that there's a strong market there. And what mm -hmm. most people don't realize is there's this massive market. You, me, there could be a million people in this niche. We're all gonna run out of money before we run out of deal flow. And there's no big money. There's no private equity groups. There's no hedge funds doing it. And uh, it's not sexy, right? You're not gonna go to HGTV or DIY network and see flip this land. The before pictures raw land. The after <laughs> pictures raw land. It's boring. <laughs> we shuffle paper and make money. It's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting how it's not flashy. It's not something that you would think looks cool. It's not a beautifully decorated house. It's not something that maybe you're going to go live in or you're going to enjoy touring on a regular basis. You're not going to show off. Here's all my beautiful raw land. It's probably not the most gorgeous locations in the mountains and picturesque, but we're looking at it from a financial standpoint and do the numbers make sense? Is this a good investment? 
And what I'm hearing is that you are investing 30 days later, you're getting your money back. And then over a seven year time, time frame, you have cash flow from that. And it's something that is working on a regular basis. And what I'm interested in is you are, I want you to speak to this. So you're fulfilling needs. You have a seller with a need. They need to get rid of this property. You have buyers with a need. You're solving people problems on both sides and you're improving both of their lives, right? Correct. And don't forget about the county, Rachel, mm. because now the county is collecting more tax revenue. So we're improving the schools and the hospitals and the services in that county oh, nice. as well. That's excellent. So yeah, there's, there's value all the, all the way along the line um, for sure, because awesome. this asset is now a liability for the seller. And then we're helping somebody who never thought they would even be able to afford raw land to afford it and, and make it easier for them. So what, what's the longest time um, it takes to, to actually offload a deal? So you said so, 30 days, but that's gotta be an average, right? Right. So, so the metric that I use is like, this doesn't sell in 30 days. Something has to change. Maybe we have to lower the down payment. Um, maybe we have to lower the monthly payment. Maybe we have to raise the overall price. Maybe they're looking at it like, maybe there's something wrong with this property. It's too, it's too cheap. So something has to change after 30 days. Um, I would say that on average though, in our inventory, we hold property 45 days on average before you, so, before, before you we change. sell. So some, so some deals close fast, you know, we've some, some deals close in, a, you know, a day. Others, it might take 60 days. You know, some might take 90 days. We just didn't figure it out as far as pricing. Um, but, you know, I've been doing this long enough that, um, you know, I've done it 6,000 times now and I've never been stuck with a piece of raw land. So there's literally a pig for every barn. And, you know, I learned this actually the hard way. Um, if you want, I can tell the story. Yeah, please yeah, absolutely. go ahead and share that. So I mean, I don't know if you guys heard of Las Vegas, New Mexico. There's a university oh, yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm with my buddy. This is early on. And there's over-the-counter property available. That means that it's already gone to tax deed auction. Nobody bought it hmm. for the tax amount. And now you can just buy it over-the-counter from the county treasurer. And these lots are like 50 bucks, and they're acre each. And we go, we drive around, we're looking at the property, me and my buddy. And I'm telling you, it looked like Chernobyl to me. It was the ugliest property I've ever seen. And I, I said to my buddy, I'm like, there's, there's no way I, in good conscience, I can buy this property. I'm like, if, if we buy it, someone goes, looks at the, looks at the property, they're going to want a refund and, or maybe they're going to sue us. He's like, I don't know. He's like, you know, it's 50 bucks. If I sell for a hundred bucks, you know, I double my money. What, what do I care? He's like, you sure you don't want to split it? I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to split it. I'm like, trust me, this is what's going to happen. And you're going to be regretting this. So he's like, he buys it all. And then every, every week he would send me email of the receipts of his sales. And he's like just crushing it, right? So he'd email me, I'd email him back, refund. Another sale. He'd email me, I'd email him back, refund slash lawsuit. This goes on for months. He sells all the property. He makes a hundred grand. Guess how, how many refunds he had? Probably zero. Zero. <laughs> so it was a $50,000 lesson essentially for me because I could have split it that 
you know, I'm not the market. Just because I don't like the, the land doesn't mean someone else wouldn't love this property. And then I, I, I've stopped being a land snob. And, you know, as long as it's accessible and there's something compelling about the property, hmm. I'm, I'm happy with it. It's fine. That is really interesting because I think about it from even a person's perspective that you're sharing. You said it needs to have something compelling about the property. So how do you know if it's compelling or if it's just really not a good location? Well, the market usually will tell you right away, um, which is why when we're doing our county research, we want to know that deals are being done there. There's something about this area that people like about the property. Um, Also, like, let's face it, I'm not going to pick on Bruce, but let's just pick on him. Nobody wakes up thinks themselves, boy, I'd like to buy some property in Missouri today, unless you live in Missouri. So we're going to the Sunshine States. We're looking at Nevada, Arizona, California, Texas, Colorado, uh, Oregon, Washington, and Florida. So these are, you know, Sunshine States, growing states, and they've got tons of inexpensive raw land available. So that's really what we're going to focus on. Not that I wouldn't do a deal in Missouri, because I have, or Arkansas or Tennessee. There's some beautiful Midwestern land out there. But generally speaking, your biggest buyer pool are going to be in those areas. Interesting. And then I'm thinking about the person who purchases the land from you. I mean, who knows what they're going to do with it, but maybe they're developing it into another neighborhood. Maybe they're um, putting a ski resort. I don't know. That was the the, the next question I was going to ask is, what percentage do do the neighbors buy? So for, for us, the neighbors are buying 30% of the time. And then I, I would say right now, our, our best lead source is Facebook, actually. Um, we close a, about a deal a day. Well, no, I would say a deal a day, a deal a week on our buyers list. So we do this, this deal of the week. We're, we're going to you know, work on growing that. We want to do a deal a day in our buyers list. But right now, we're, we're doing one a week on the buyers list. Um, Craigslist, uh, kind of ebbs and flows depending on their algorithm. It changes, um, as is Facebook, but right now Facebook's been our, our, our best lead source. Super interesting. So what could go wrong? What, what are the risks for somebody who is interested in investing? And then, and then let's talk about what does it take to be able to invest in Rawlings? Sure. Sure. So there's two big risks. The first one is an environmental risk. So before you buy, you need to go to epa.gov and just make sure you're not buying a Superfund site. And what um, is that? A Superfund site is like if you're manufacturing and mm-hmm. you've, you've polluted the land, uh, that company then is liable for the cleanup. And it's millions oh, of dollars right. to clean it up. But if they sell it and you buy it, you are now liable to clean up that Superfund site. Mm. Now, we're not, that's why we're, we're avoiding like Ohio and Pennsylvania and New Jersey for our raw land. So we're going to areas that it's, there's really no environmental issues, but you do want to make sure that you've done your due diligence there. And then the second biggest risk is overpaying. We were going to make our money on the buy. So if you're not buying at 25, 30 cents on the dollar, then I think you're overpaying. That could be your, your biggest risk. Now, you know, again, if you've done your, your comps right, you shouldn't overpay. But that, those are the two biggest risks. A question, I think, in people's mind, including mine, is why are people selling at 25 to 30% on the dollar? 
Okay, so I want you to close your eyes and picture your garage right now, okay? And imagine if I sent you an offer on all that stuff in your garage, 25, 30 cents a dollar. How happy would you be to accept that offer? Now, yeah, you could go and you could take pictures of each item in your garage and try to sell them on OfferUp or eBay, but you're busy, right? You're not, that's not what you want to do. And it's the same thing with the people that own the raw land. They don't want to learn how to market their land. They're not going to take the time. Um, like in your example, you're not going to drive down your land in Texas, put a sign up and start fielding calls. The local brokers, they don't want these, these deals either. So really it's, it's not so simple to sell for sale by owner if you don't know what you're doing. So it's a, it's a simplicity situation. Simplicity. And, and probably some of this land was actually inherited land too that uh, people have just been passing. They're like, I, I'm, I'm not even that, like you said, emotionally attached to it. Um, right. Although I guess inherited land sometimes can be very emotional. Uh, but there, there comes a time when it, the motion stops. And it's like, why am I even holding on to this thing? Right. And they keep getting these reminders every year when they pay the property taxes. So there's a little bit of pain and year in, year out. We're never doing anything with this property. What's, you know, what's this worth? And then, you know, you get an offer like, oh, problem solved. Interesting. Very interesting. And I like how you shared the idea about the garage. I mean, my first thought went to estate sales as well. I'm sure that there's a lot of people who are in a similar position where maybe they're trying to clear out an estate and rather than piece every single item and sell it in the best market for that particular item and do all of that legwork. I'm sure um, that there's a lot of, I don't know how estate sale companies work, but I'm sure that they would work in a similar fashion and be able to handle all of those things for you. So how, how does this work if an investor were to invest with you? I know you shared that there's kind of a couple different options. Um, I'd love for you to share that with our audience today. And what does that look like for an investor who says, I'm really interested in investing in raw land, what is required? What's the minimum? How do they work with you? Do they do it on their own? What what do you provide to them as a company? Um, so let's let's explore that. Right. So we we have a few different ways of of teaching people. So you have your do-it-yourselfers. Um, these are the people that are really disciplined. They get up at four thirty in the morning. They're at the gym, um, and they're working out really hard for an hour, and they can do that consistently. Um, then we got the people that uh, want the accountability and they want to go to the gym and have that personal trainer and that group keeping everybody accountable. So we have group training. And then we have the people who are just really want to take this in and make it big. And we have one-on-one coaching for those people as well. So as far as like capital to get started, we actually did a roundtable podcast on this. And um, we think that you need to start with about $1,000. Um, there's lots of deals out there for 300, 500 bucks to get started. Um, so thousand bucks to get started. I start with $3,000. Um, it doesn't take a lot of capital to get started. I think as far as the training goes, there's tons of it, um, out there. So you can just go on YouTube and we've got tons of free content there. Um, but if you want, again, just a step-by-step program, mm-hmm. if we have that as well. So, you know, if you've got more 
money than time, then yeah, you want to get a program. If you've got more time than money, look, it's not brain surgery. If I can do this, anyone can do this. You can figure this out on your own. And just even just listening to this podcast, you're like, oh, go to where the investors are going, divide by four, get the cost. It's not that tough. But at the same time, so you talked about a lot of things that are automated that you use that are simplifying the process for you. So what does that look like if somebody were to come into your one-on-one program? Do they invest with you? Do they uh, do they give the capital to you and then you handle everything on the back end? What does that look like? What's that relationship like? Yeah, so we do have something like that for people that are, you know, high net worth individuals. You know, let's let's just pick on uh, a Bruce again, right? Like Bruce is not going to do this business. He's, you know, his full-time job is making too much money for him to even think about trying to even do this on his own. He'd rather just invest with someone like me and do that. We have something like that available. But for the majority of people, um, if they can devote an hour or two a day to do this, you know, they can really move the needle. So, you know, our big thing is, you know, about 12 to 18 months, if you do this consistently, you should get about $10,000 a month in, in cash flow, in passive income. So <clears throat> I would love for you to tell about your book, um, Dirt Rich, and how, that, how somebody can learn from that, what's, what's inside, and not obviously all of your secrets. They need to be able to go get the book for that, but how they get the book, and then um, we'll go from there. Yeah. So yeah, there are no secrets, Rachel. Um, but I think the book is is really good as far as a uh, an entertaining sort of introduction hmm. into the business. You get to hear my story, learn from my mistakes. Um, I talk about you know all the dumb things I did when I first started, uh, the dumb ways I spent money when I got started. I had Parkinson's law of money. There was no Rachel or Bruce in my life. And like, hey, Mark, you know, you're the market. Maybe, maybe save some money. You know, there's this, there's this thing called private banking out there. You know, I had none of that. I had right. no mentor. I had no one helping me. I'm still mad at you guys, but it's, it's fine. I'm getting over it. And, but I made these terrible mistakes. And um, so, yeah, 2008 comes, it's Great Recession. And, you know, I keep spending and spending and spending. And I built up this huge personal overhead. And now, like one day, 50% of my note income is just gone. I mean, people were, they just stopped paying on their, their note. And so even though I was profitable as a company, um, I had to really start looking at you know, my values, my priorities, like what's really important to me, what really makes me happy, and, and figuring that out. So I talk about that in Dirt Rich, and then I walk through um, the business model, just like what we discussed in a little bit more detail as well. So should, do you want to uh, explain what Parkinson's law is or should I? Oh, I'd, I, you should do it because we're just picking on you today, Bruce. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it basically says that um, uh, your spending will expand to whatever your income is. Exactly. And, and that is, uh, that is very, very, um, that's a, just a human nature thing that happens if you do not have a, a system where you save first and then spend second. Most people just spend and then, and then if they have anything left over, they save. And that's not, a, as you found out, that's not a good way of doing things. 
Um, and so that's that's a really good, really good re-emphasized point for our listeners. It absolutely is. And I think, Bruce, you said it's human nature, and it absolutely is. I mean, you see all of the people around you. You can compare to any Joneses you want. There's always a better Joneses than you. There's always a bigger house. There's always a bigger lifestyle. There's always things to spend money on. And I'm guilty as just anyone else of thinking, oh, there's just one more thing I can buy and one more thing I can buy. But those, it's really interesting that the thing that really sets you ahead financially is saving first, being in a position of being in control. And that even goes for the person who says, like you learned, I want to invest everything, every last dollar I want to invest. And they don't have the pool of capital. They don't have the reserves. They don't have the liquidity to be able to deploy if something goes wrong or if they have a need for cash really quickly. And so absolutely very important to make sure you have a financial system in place. And that is really where privatized banking is a huge piece of making sure that you are saving first. You're putting your capital in a place that you control, that you can, that you control. I said control. That's not even a word. You control. It's liquid, it's accessible, it's safe money. And now you're in a position of you're building up this cash value inside of a specially designed life insurance policy with a mutual company that's a dividend paying policy. And now you say, how can I deploy this capital? What investments are going to create cash flow enough that I can borrow from my policy, put those dollars to work in some other investment, some alternative investment usually that's not subject to stock market fluctuations and that kind of risk. And then you're able to have the cash flow be able to repay policy loans. And that is how you are able to recycle your cash value and use it in two places at the same time like we talk about. So I really appreciate you sharing this as a tool to expand our minds and really think about an additional way to be able to use that cash value inside a policy or any other way that you're investing. I mean, this could be something that you're just investing directly as well. But certainly when you're looking at privatized banking, it's a powerful tool to be able to use for the liquidity and savings and the investing at the same time, plug them together. Yeah, and, and really reliving it now and thinking about it now, I'm nauseous. Mm -hmm. Because if I had known about this, I would, I, I would have just, it would have been automated, right? So things are good. I'm for savings into this policy. And then when things were bad, well, I have my savings that I could maybe borrow from and keep compounding while but alas, used, yes, I didn't know. Yeah, no. um, Nelson Nash would have said, um, "That's okay. Don't dwell on that. The best time to plant a tree was seventy years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is today." So we tell people all the time, you know, that say, "Oh, I wish I would have done this twenty years ago." Well, don't say that ten years from now. You know, actually take some action and really using the. Uh, borrowing against the policy values is actually the way you supercharge this much like, um, you know, I tell people all the time, they say, well, why do you do this? I can do the same thing with my HELOC, you know, a home equity line of credit. And yet, yes, you could, you absolutely could, except you don't have guaranteed values. You, you actually have to qualify for the loans. You have to ask for the loan, a HELOC, where by contract, uh, you actually don't have to ask for the loan from the the, the insurance company, and you have guaranteed um, increases in your policy. So this is a great way to deploy capital. It's not the only way that you should think about because we believe in diversification. There should be other things you should be looking at, uh, so on and so forth. But this is really eye-opening. It's a, Once again, it's 
you know, I hate, I always hate, hate to use the word unconventional because once you use the word unconventional, then people think it has to be dangerous and risky. It's like when you say, hey, let's think outside the box. Well, people are like, I don't want to say, you know, think outside the box. Um, I want to be or, safe. Then I say, okay, well, let's just say there's a bigger box out there. That's we'll stay in the box. Sense. It's just bigger. Um, and it's just, it's a change in mindset. You had that change in mindset in, in your lifetime. And it's, it's actually been a very good thing for you. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's been amazing. You know, in our average return is 300 to 1,000% on these deals. So it really is irrelevant at what we borrow at. Although, you know. Um, yeah, we get that all the time. We get that all the time, too. It's like, well, I have to borrow my capital. It's like, well, that's what, that's what good businesses do. They leverage, they leverage other people's money for this. And um, just in case somebody is coming into the conversation right now and saying, I have no idea what you're talking about, when you have a privatized banking policy or a specially designed whole life insurance policy, that cash value is continuing to grow. You borrow against that cash value with a policy loan. You're taking the life insurance company's money. You're not taking your own money out, which is why yours keeps growing. But what's interesting is there is a loan rate attached to that. You will pay for the cost of capital. You always pay for the cost of capital. But the arbitrage is powerful when you realize maybe you can borrow at 5%, but you're making 300 to 1,000% over here. That that's is no, no brainer. that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Right. Yeah, this is um, interesting. Go ahead. So more, more, well, yeah, but what, I, what I love about you guys is that, you know, because I remember I had friends in 2010, like they were over leveraged. And the only reason I, I, was, I was doing everything cash, but I wasn't growing as fast as them. So they had bigger houses and bigger cars than me. Some guys even had boats. But when, you know, what's, what's a banker? Like what's the, the cliche? Uh, a banker is an umbrella uh, when, the, when it's sunny. Right. So as soon as right. rainy, like then they they couldn't get they had no more access to capital, and so um, you know those people who had if they had known about it, they would have been able to continue as well because it was it was only two or three years to recover mm -hmm. and to kind of figure it out. Yeah, that's so, the value of one thing, Bruce. That's the value of not just enjoying your wealth today and enjoying your income and having Parkinson's law take over and spending everything that you make and kind of going almost underground for a little bit and saying, how do I develop this financial infrastructure that right now might feel like I can't get the boat and the house that I want to have, but I'm developing the ability to have that for the rest of my life and not have to continue to work for the income for it. It just takes, it's a backward step from going right for the thing that you think is going to make you successful and happy. It's really stepping back and saying, how do I put this system in place in my life? And so I just love how you shared that. Go ahead, Bruce. Sorry. Well, I, I just think this is a, this is a, a way of looking at economics that is sound money um, that we have gotten away from in our country. Our politicians talk about this all the time. We have to spend our way out of this recession. And what they and and what they don't understand is if you save first before you spend, you don't have the cost of the interest uh, to obtain this. And that's one of the big things about your land deals is you don't there's no there's no leverage on the land. So so right. the so the actual return is much much greater. And if, if a person can get this uh, mindset that I'm going to save first 
And then I'm going to deploy my capital. <clears throat> and you eliminate the interest that you're paying along the way. You will be much further along in your life. And if our own country would understand that also, we would not be heading towards this fiscal cliff that we are heading towards because we're being irresponsible with, with the uh, future debt. <laughs> and um, Mark, you, you, haven't, you haven't been heard me say this, but I think it's immoral what we're doing because we are not only borrowing our way for the Federal Reserve um, and the taxpayers don't, don't have a way to actually stop it, but unborn children that have to actually uh, pay for it in the future can't even vote for people to represent them right now. So having cash, the reason I'm saying all this is having cash flowing assets that can contribute to your um, fiscal health, which you're providing is one way to offset this into the future. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I forgot what, what book I'd read or it was Ray Dalio talking about this and, um, you know, the over leveraging and fiat money. And um, we're, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, it happened in World War Two. We're going to have to reset. Right. It, the, the debt's unsustainable unless we reset. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's so very interesting. One thing I want to say on that point before we move on, I have young children and the number one thing that I think of in a world that they can't control the future externals, if you look at the economics of what our government is doing, the only thing I can say is how can I set up my kids for as much success as possible? How can I develop not only my own capital, but a family banking system? How can I provide them with assets so that wherever my stopping off point is, whenever that is from this earth, they have that infrastructure financially built already underneath their feet and they have the ability to live free from those clutches. So anyway, just uh, some really interesting thoughts that came out today that are not necessarily even about raw land, but thanks for sharing just all of your thoughts on Parkinson's law and, and the idea of saving and, and becoming financially free. So the last, the last thing I'd like to touch on uh, before we end here, Mark, is where do you see this actually innovating into the future, your business and opportunities that will change into the future? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the, the um, you know, I don't really talk about this a lot, but I have a massive anxiety disorder. So every day I'm anxious and I'm thinking if everything's going to change and everything is going to change, what's not going to change? Mm. And I'm always thinking, well, how does this business get disrupted? Um, you know, what's, you know, where, where, how do we cover ourselves? You know, and I've been doing it a long time now and, and, you know, every year the business keeps growing and the market keeps growing. So, um, but I think about this constantly is, um, you know, what's our downside risk? What, what are the, where are the things that we can just get disrupted with technology, whatever it is, because, you know, we have an inefficient market. So the horrible thing about raw land and the great thing about raw land, no one knows what it's worth. It's truly what a buyer and seller agree to. Mm. Now, will that change? Maybe. Um, when I do my calculations at the end of the day, I think worst case scenario, we're looking at maybe a 30% a gross margin business if it becomes more efficient. Um, I don't know. 
The other issue uh, that I could see down the line is, but, you know, so getting back to that original question I ask myself every day, if everything is going to change, what's not going to change, I do believe people will always want a real asset Mm -hmm. and they're always going to want a good deal. So as long as those two things remain true, I feel really good about the long-term prospects of this niche. That being said, I don't want to be Kodak. Um, right. I want to be right. flexible like a yogi. And, um, you know, I have a, I had a second podcast I called the Best Passive Income Model Podcast. And I'd have people like you on. And my shtick would be, I'd walk them through the model like, do I have the best passive income uh, model? And, you know, 90% it was like a layup. Like, yeah. And then you, you know, some people, I think uh, Sharon Lecter, who, who co-wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad, she's like, you have the best passive income model for you. So, um, but I do think that uh, long-term, as the technology gets better, we have access to global talent. I, I think it's the best time ever to be an entrepreneur. So I can't predict the future, but I do think about it all the time. I'm constantly um, sort of structuring my life so that um, I have these these thoughtful sort of days where Monday and Friday, I don't do any calls. I just think. And I, and I walk and I work out and I meditate. But always in the back of my mind is, you know, how do we grow or what kinds of things can we do? How do we get better? How do we get more efficient at this? How can software solve problems? Uh, this and that. But I do think as of today, as long as those things, those two fundamental things remain true, people will always want a real asset and they'll always want a good deal. I think we've got a, a really strong future. Uh, that being said, uh, you guys email me and let me know, but like, hey, Mark, things are changing. You know, sure. Check out ATM investing. Like, I'm <laughs> open to it. I'm open to it. Great. I love that. I think the best people are teachable. And uh, anyway, so thank you for sharing that. And I love the idea that you said, what doesn't change? Because there are so many things in this world that are shifting all the time, every single second and trying to predict what the next 10 years is going to be like is challenging. But if we can make sure we have consistency with the fundamentals and the things that do matter, then you'll be in a position of cash flow and control. So now, Mark, how do people find you? How do they invest with you? How do they stalk you? Whatever it takes, how do they connect? I think the best place to start is thelandgeek.com, thelandgeek.com. Um, I've got a, a, a course. It's normally 97 bucks. Um, how to double your money in 30 days or less. I'd love to offer it to your listeners for free. So if they just go to landgeek.com forward slash quick deals, they can get that course for free and just see if this model even resonates with them uh, as well. So I think those are the best places to get started. Um, and then, you know, certainly, uh, you know, they, you know, high net worth individuals that want to work with me, they can just email me directly, uh, mark, M-A-R-K, at thelandgeek.com. Excellent. Well, thank you. We'll make sure that those links and uh, message or and URLs are in the show notes. That's thelandgeek.com. If you want the free course that he is offering very generously to you today, it's usually 97, but free today, thelandgeek.com slash quick deals and mark at thelandgeek.com. You got it. 
So if you are interested in continuing to build time and money freedom using privatized banking, using alternative investments, and using strategies for cash flow so that you keep more of the money that you make, we would love to talk to you. You can book your consultation with The Money Advantage at themoneyadvantage.com slash calendar. You can just go to our website, themoneyadvantage.com as well, and you'll find everything you need to know right there. We also have more information about privatized banking. If you are new to this concept and you're saying, this is really interesting how I can use life insurance and investing at the same time together, we'd love to help you with that. So we have the quick and easy privatized banking guide, and you can also find that at themoneyadvantage.com. And in closing, I would just love to let you know that we have a ton more information over on the show notes, which are at themoneyadvantage.com. If you're listening on a podcast app right now, you can click show notes and that will take you over to all of the information and links. And we would love to hear from you. If you're loving the the show, the podcast, if you have specific questions, we would love to be there and be a resource for you. Bruce, anything you want to share before I close? No, I just, uh, uh, people need to continue to have open minds continue to save. And when, when that happens, uh, when opportunity uh, arises, it finds capital. Nelson used to say that all the time. Opportunities find, opportunities find cash. So that's why saving before spending is very, very important. When you, have a, when you have a lot of cash and all of a sudden an opportunity comes about, you can move very, very quickly instead of, um, you know, looking for leverage in that particular situation. So. Absolutely. And yes, saving before spending, saving before investing as well. So um, Mark, I think I will give you an opportunity to share your background and communicate about what's going on behind you real quick before we close out the show today. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a huge geek. Uh, this is just the Millennium Falcon and uh, that's, that's my background. But um, what, what you guys are saying, I, I love this 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 quote from Zig Ziglar, and I, I really think it's um, you know an apropos way to sort of end the the podcast is if you'll do for the next three to five years what other people won't do, you'll be able to do for the rest of your life what other people can't do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I love the like mindedness and really the people who are saying how can I truly become a wealth creator, not how can I just get rich quick? How can I just make a lot of money? But who are saying, how can I truly become a wealth creator? That mindset is very evident in. So check yourself and apply that. In closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. 
The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.